Recovery Elevator, episode 445. I say to myself, hey, fear or anxiety or loneliness or whatever the feeling is, you're here today. I see you're here. I'm going to feel you for a second because I don't want to push you away because you have something to say to me. You want to say something to me, but I don't have to figure it out immediately. I can say, you know, I, I see that you're here. I'm seeing, I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to sit in my uncomfortable, but I don't need to take a drink to make it go away. I need to feel it. I understand maybe what it is. I just let it be. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Cindy. She's 54 years old from Curie Beach, North Carolina, and took her last drink on March 2nd, 2023. Great job, Cindy. I want to say thank you to all our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Thank you so much. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, Today has already been a good day. Listeners, this is going to be fun. We are doing an East Coast Cafe RE Meetup Tour. We are going to be in New York City on Wednesday, August 30th. We're going to be in Philadelphia, Saturday, September 2nd, in D.C. on the 5th. These meetups are for Cafe RE members only. So if you'd like to attend, get the info, go ahead and sign up this week, and then we'll throw down some soda water and cranberries together. Now, for the New York City Meetup, Podcast listeners are invited to join us at Hakate Cafe and Elixir Lounge at 8 p.m. This is at 167 Avenue B. If you need more info on the Cafe RE East Coast Tour, just email info at recoveryelevator.com. I want to say the world is much better with you here. I want to remind you all of the Suicide Prevention Hotline. This is 988, which was launched one year ago. This number has fielded over 5 million calls, texts, and chats in the past year alone and has saved countless lives. Again, that number is 988. If you're not following RE on Instagram, be sure to do so. We're getting a lot of fun videos up there. And before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Soberlink. Did you know there are 15 million people in the United States with an alcohol use disorder? And yet, there's still a stigma that surrounds addiction and recovery. We need to stop being ashamed and start sharing in our sobriety. That's why we're so excited to have a sponsor like Soberlink who shares in our beliefs. If you haven't heard of Soberlink Alcohol Monitoring System, it's the perfect accountability tool for those in recovery. It can help you rebuild trust and get back on track despite slips or relapses. We've teamed up with Soberlink to provide you with tips for handling a relapse, which is a guide that can be downloaded at www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator. On that page, you'll also find a form to sign up for a $50 off promo code for you or a loved one who is ready to take the next steps in their recovery journey. Okay, let's get started. I've got a fun story for you. One which, if I had to say, was definitely nudged by the universe. Okay, the other day while eating lunch, my wife showed me an Instagram reel or video of a sober influencer dancing. The video was great. I loved it. Sobriety and dancing 100% go hand in hand. Later that night while watching the sunset, a random idea popped into my head, which was, I'm going to challenge this sober Instagram star to a breakdance battle. So the next day, that's exactly what I did. The influencer's response was, challenge accepted. 
I then said to myself, shit, now I have to pick up an orange Adidas tracksuit, find a huge piece of cardboard, and learn how to break dance. Now behind the scenes, something else unbeknownst to me was going down. Apparently, the same day I challenged this sober influencer to a sober breakdance battle, a different sober influencer on TikTok, who apparently has millions of followers, said that watching this person dance made him want to drink. Does that make sense? I almost missed the synchronicity of this, but let me explain. Let's zoom out for a second. So we have one TikTok user with millions of followers said that watching videos of this person dance made them want to drink. Now, let me summarize that in two words. It would be stop dancing. Then we have another person, myself, who challenges this person to a sober breakdance battle. Let me summarize my statement in two words. Keep dancing. Now, a question you may be asking yourself is, how often does Paul challenge people to a breakdance battle? That answer would be never. I don't even know how to breakdance yet. So let's turn this story into a fable, a parable, or a simple teaching. A young child comes to his father and says, Dad, the kids at school told me I look like an ostrich when I dance. The father looks at his son and says, Son, sometimes the world will tell you that you look like a flightless bird, to not be yourself, or to stop dancing. But son, your most important job today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life is to keep on dancing. Never stop and always be yourself. So listeners, keep on dancing and never stop. This is your job. If you don't know your metaphorical or literal dance steps, stick around. The knowledge will return. If someone tells you your dancing makes them want to drink, then that is 100% their problem. Always has been and always will be. I was so lucky to have a mother who taught dance as a career. As a young child, I was taught the importance of expressing and maintaining vitality through movement. In my tradition, we dance. We dance literally and metaphorically. We dance on good days. We dance on bad days. I used to dance drunk. Now I dance sober. I dance with others. I dance alone in my living room. I dance with my hands up. Then I bring them down. Then I bring my hands back up. And according to the 90s hip-hop star Luke, formerly of 2 Live Crew, this would be called raising the roof. We dance to raise our heart rates and to keep our bodies moving. We dance to enjoy ourselves. Dance should 100% be part of your recovery portfolio. Nearly every society has embraced dance as part of their culture. I'm sure you've heard of many of these dances. We got the samba, salsa, square dancing, ballet, the tango, flamenco, break dancing, and the dougie, just to name a few. Again, listeners, I encourage you to dance, metaphorically and literally. This is your job. When you dance, it gives others permission to dance. When you sing your song, it teaches others how to sing their song. And you know what? You don't need alcohol to dance. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. I always have a good time putting them together. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Cindy. My favorite play is called Dear Evan Hansen. There's a song in it called, Does Anybody Have a Map? The song outlines how nobody knows what they're doing in life and we're all just trying our best, winging it and hoping things go well when we sometimes feel so lost. I love this song. It reminds me that I'm not alone. It reminds me that it's not just me who struggles with decision-making. 
There's no manual for being a human, no map or key. We have to get to know ourselves and figure out what's best for us. For me, having a therapist has allowed me to raise my awareness and be honest about my shortcomings. I need an outside perspective to see things differently, and therapy has provided just that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Elevator. Cindy, how are you? I'm doing pretty well today, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking, Cindy. It's great to have you on the podcast. I'm eager to learn more about your story away from alcohol. Uh, let's do this, Cindy. When was your last drink? My last drink was March 2nd, 2023. It was a Thursday. Yeah, it was a Thursday, right? Good stuff. <laughs> it was good stuff. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, March 2nd, 2023. Listeners, yeah. Cindy sent me an email. And I read the email and I said, yes, let's definitely get this gal on the podcast for several reasons. Uh, everybody has a tremendous story, but one of them in particular was, uh, I, I like the stories when people go to Al-Anon first and they're like, oh, wait a second, I need to go to AA because one of the most dangerous things about alcoholism, alcohol is the blinders, right? We are so blind of what's going on. And I read that line and I, and I chuckled internally, but you know, my hindsight uh, 2020, but I did the same thing. There's no way I could have a problem with alcohol. In fact, I went to an Al-Anon meeting as well before my sobriety date or not close or, or not far around there. And the same things like, wait a second, I'm in the wrong room. So let's do this. I'm excited to hear your story. But before we get into your story, give listeners, Cindy, a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Uh, do you have a family and what do you like to do for fun? Okay, so I'm born and raised in Maryland. I lived there my whole entire life, moved to North Carolina in 2019. So I call myself a Maryland girl living in a North Carolina world. Um, I am 54 years old. I am married for 23 years. I have a 19-year-old and a soon-to-be 18-year-old rising senior in high school. Um, I have a dog named Joplin, and I have been an operating room nurse for 22 years. And I recently finished a master's degree in nursing informatics. Wow. Okay. And before I forget this question, an operating room nurse, I once read a stat. I've actually, I've, I've come across the stat several times that around 40 to 60%, I read one time 40 to 70% of hospital beds have an underpinning to alcohol and your career as an operating nurse, hmm. can you confirm or deny, or is, does this hold water? Oh no, I can confirm to that multiple times. I've seen many, many people with esophageal bleeds up in ICUs trying to stop them from bleeding. Um, seen a lot of liver problems, done a lot of gallbladders. And when you're in there doing a gallbladder, you can see the liver clear as day. And I've seen a lot of damaged livers and people that I assume are drinking. And also you can very well know when someone's a drinker, when you start to give them anesthesia, when they say, oh, I really don't drink, but one drink a day. And then you have to give them more and more and more and more anesthesia for them to actually go to sleep. You just know. Oh, okay. So there's almost this 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 equation, you know, like we'll say, oh, it's one drink, but the doctor will say three. They'll, they'll know internally, okay, this is three drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, but for anesthesiologists, same thing. You can tell just by inserting the medicine that, okay, this is a heavy drinker. In a heartbeat. Really? Oh, heck yeah. Because normally the normal person that doesn't drink and that's a lightweight, so to say, they will take a small amount of anesthetic to help them start to relax 
And some people take three, four, five times the amount to relax. And we just know in a heartbeat because it's so common. We don't even talk about it, but you know, you just it's know. It's so common. You don't even talk about it that people regularly use copious amounts of barbiturates, tranquilizers, alcohol in their daily lives. Wow. On the flip side of that, that triggered a memory. There's a thing called bufo. It's a frog ceremony. It's where they do three dots with an incense. They burn three dots on your skin and they insert the frog poison. You know, those bright frogs. Actually, it's not the bright frogs in the Amazon, but it's a, it's a poison from a frog. Yeah. On the flip side of that, they say people who are sober have a much easier time during the ceremony because what that does, that poison, it's like a 12 to 15 minute long session of intense pain. I've done this, but they say that people who are sober, they don't struggle as bad because there's less toxins in their body, right? And that's why I've heard that a couple of times. So interesting stuff, Cindy. All right, let's get into this, Sydney. Let's talk about your story into alcohol addiction before we talk about the departure. And again, congrats on the March 2nd sobriety date. That is incredible. I definitely want to leave time for how you did that resources, you know, how you met, how you log that time, but take it maybe from the start, wherever you'd like to go with this. I'm all ears, Cindy. Let's do it. I was thinking about this today before our conversation. And the first time I kind of remember having alcohol in my life is approximately 10th or 11th grade, somewhere in there, going to a, a family gathering with a boyfriend at the time who actually is my husband now and having some beers. And oddly enough, recently, my daughter was reading my 11th grade yearbook where um, I wrote to my husband, it was his yearbook, and I had written in his yearbook, oh, I love beer, let's get some more beer. So clearly in high school, I liked beer. Must have made me feel good. I've always been a super social person, lived that world right up into college. I went to University of Maryland, a big party school. I was the social chairman of my sorority, Kappa Kappa Gamma, Um, drank a ton, um, probably blacked out a lot, probably had some not so great experiences. And then I traveled around the country and the world after college. I went to Asia. I lived there and taught English. Um, I lived in Seattle. I lived in San Diego. All kind of drinking times. I don't remember anything stupendous about the drinking. Just always was a drinker. Always had fun when I drank. And then got married. Um, My my husband and I probably always kind of drank beers together and a little bit more. Um, Had kids. I still remember drinking, but it never affected my life. I never had any of those yet. Became an operating room nurse super stressful job. We'd always go out after work and go to happy hour and drink or just always drinking after work. This is what we do. Go out and drink when we're done. And so it's always kind of just been a part of my life. I never would have thought that it was a problem at all. Just always did it socially. Party, social, party fun. Yeah. And Cindy, when did you start to see the writing on the wall or when were there consequences? Probably approximately late 2018. I remember my husband came home from work one day. I didn't work that day. And I really wanted to go out and have some dinner or something. And he was tired from work. And I said, hey, let's go out and eat, right? And he said, no, I don't feel like it. And I was pissed. So I was kind of like, whatever, I'm going out. So I went out. I got super wasted. I lived in the country at the time. got super wasted. Met some friends. Went from one bar to the next bar. Got super wasted more. I ended up driving home on a dark country road. And I don't have clear recollection of this. But somehow I ended pulled over in a field with a cop behind me. I cried my eyes out to him, pulled the, I'm an OR nurse in the community. I know a lot of surgeons. I know a lot of doctors. Please, please, please don't give me a ticket. It would end my career. You know, the surgeons that I worked with, we worked on a lot of police officers. They had been my patients. So um, he said, get out of the car, get in the driver's seat, take the keys out of the ignition. Cause if you're not driving, not physically driving the vehicle and the keys aren't in the ignition, I can't arrest you. So I sat in the field, called a friend and had him pick me up. Wow. Okay. But now, even in that moment, I didn't think it was a problem. 
Gotcha. Now I had a similar story with a DUI scare that was written off age 22, in fact, right when I graduated college. So thankful for that. But looking back, I almost wish it was a fa- an actual DUI to speed up my progression. Now, after that for you, was it like, whoa, that was a close call? Or was it like, uh-oh, we need to make some changes? I didn't think I needed to make any changes. I never honestly thought about it. I thought that I was pissed at my husband because he didn't want to go out to eat with me. And I let it wrap all around that it's because of the behavior that he had pissed me off. Therefore, I drink. So I had that kind of attitude for a really long time. I was pissed. Just really pissed. long time, like for that night or for years or whatnot. Only about the next five years was my, from approximately that point, early 2019 until November-ish of 2022, I had a very precipitous decline. Gotcha. Let's talk about that. Talk about the decline um, and also maybe mention the amount you were drinking. Did you put any rules in place? Not drinking before five, not drinking alone, things like that. No, I never had any rules in place. I guess I early on started, I really liked beer. And then I remember my story kind of went to, I would not work. I didn't work on Fridays and a friend of mine didn't work on Fridays also. And we'd like to get, drink beer because we both had pools. We'd drink beer and go to the pool. But before we'd start drinking beer, we'd like to go to the beer store. And I remember always going to the beer store and looking like, hmm, let me buy the beer that has the highest alcohol concentration, even if it's 15 bucks for a six pack so I can get drunk the fastest. And that's what we would do. But I lived in the country close to him on a country road. So there were never any consequences. We had fun. We got wasted. We act foolish, talked dirty, went home, went to sleep, got up the next day, went to work. Still no consequences. Almost found myself on the edge of divorce. My husband and I in early 2019, we both came to the conclusion that we didn't want to do that. And so we moved. So really the move from my hometown to a new town, I still was just never content. And you know how they say in alcohol, it's kind of always discontent, not happy. And I always wondered, why am I not happy? You know, like I do, I have the two cars. I have great kids. I have a great job. My husband has a great job. I've been somewhat happily married, you know, and I got a dog. I got everything. Why am I not happy? Why am I not happy? Question, Cindy, with the decision to relocate towns, was this part of it? Oh, the drinking is going to stay here or, you know, I'm not going to drink as much in the next town. Did that happen? We, I never talked about it. I swear. I never even imagined that drinking was a problem. I always thought, that my husband drank too much, but I never thought that my drinking had anything to do with anything that was going on in our marriage. Ever. Wow. Okay. Okay. Ever. And, and and this is something that I want to call out with alcohol, right? This is one of the most insidious components of the drug alcohol is the blinders, right? I had blacked out probably two years of my life, lost a bar in Spain, um, came back on an airplane, basically wearing the clothes that I owned. I lost everything. And if you would have asked me, is alcohol a problem? Like, whoa, whoa, stand down, son. No, not at all. I just didn't see it. Right. Right. So when did you start to see it? To be honest, I really never saw it. I swear. I know it sounds crazy and I wish that my story was different than that, but I truly never saw it. The only, when I truly saw it, was the first time that I went to an AA meeting and I heard what alcoholism was and I heard other people talking about how their, what their mindset was and how they were kind of like defiant brats and um, always thought they were right. And that's when I realized, I have this. I never, I swear, never thought of it until then. So I have to say me going into the rooms of AA is what made me realize that I had a problem with alcoholism. Okay. It was that late. So you said in late February, 2023, this year, you went to an Al-Anon meeting mm-hmm. because you thought all your problems were because your husband was an alcoholic. And shortly after that, you went to an AA meeting, if I'm hearing you correctly. And you had, sounds like a light bulb moment saying, "Uh Oh, wait, okay. This is me. 
explain that a little more. What did it feel like when that realization landed? So as I was sitting in my first open AA meeting after being in Al-Anon for about two months, I I don't remember what I exactly heard, but all I know is the feeling that I had was that I felt like I was in a church where you get this message, this spiritual lightning in the first moment. And I thought, oh, I want to be baptized into this. Like I was bawling and crying. And, you know, you can't really put your finger on exactly what that was. But I felt like for the very first time in my life, I was home with people that really understood who I was and that I connected with. And for that moment, I can't say exactly what it was. I figured it out later. It took a couple months of education about alcoholism, but um, now I do understand. But in that moment, it was just a feeling that, oh my God, I am home. And this is the first time ever I've been around people that I know totally understand what I feel like. Listeners, that is a common thread I've heard on this podcast, right? It's either in AA, it might be in our private community, Cafe RE, but once people finally get in their tribe, sometimes accidentally, sometimes people take, they're, they're taken to a meeting or whatnot, there is this almost repose internally of the nervous system. There's like this calm. It's like, all right, we can let down, down our guard. And all of a sudden it comes out. You said there's tears, there's emotions, but it's it's a beautiful thing that takes place. I think there was some div- divine uh, phrasing how you said it. Actually, I want to go back just a little bit before we we move forward there. You said, you know, you didn't quite know there was al- the alcohol was the issue. You said, I had tried antidepressants, ADHD medication, therapy. And lots of booze and could never get happy about my life. Another reason why I got you on, I tried antidepressants. Cindy, when I wrote my book, Alcohol is Shit, that came out in 2019, I wrote down 17 psychotropic meds, 17, right? And and just going on those meds is such a pain in the ass because it takes like five to six weeks. Oh, it's not working. Oh, I feel suicidal. 17. I did ADHD medication for a couple of years, therapy, um, and also the booze before I even realized it, like, oh, shit. Maybe the coping mechanism, alcohol is the reason why I cannot cope. So, um, and you also mentioned the missing link. Uh, missing link was what they talk about in, in AA. Can you talk about when when you realize like, oh, it was alcohol this whole time? Like, what was there a realization or I, we kind of covered that, but just how did it feel when like, all right, it's alcohol and it's got to go? Well, the first thing that really made me stop before I even knew what alcoholism was Clearly, I knew what it was because I saw it in other people in the hospital. I saw a lot of people that drank and their bodies were physically messed up. I also had two very close friends die of alcoholism. I saw them in ICU. I saw them intubated. I saw them with hepatic encephalopathy. Um, But I still didn't think it for myself. So I question, was that because what your vision or your version of an alcoholic had pale skin, their liver was failing. They were on operating room table and you said, look, I'm not there yet. I cannot have a problem with alcohol. Totally. Okay. I just, I I, totally, I didn't think an alcoholic was a person that had a full job that actually worked every day, went to work, made money, had children. I just, I don't know what my honest idea of alcoholism was. But I can tell you what I know, think my alcoholism definition is now because I formulated my own. Sure. You hear what, it? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So I think the definition of alcoholism for a lot of people that are high functioning is that you have some type of shit, trauma, experience, whatever it is that you don't want to deal with, aren't ready to deal with. It doesn't have to be huge. It might be super small. I don't know. Somebody didn't listen to you when you were a kid or it could be any, it could be a big thing getting right there. It could be anything, anything, whatever the thing is that you never were taught to talk about. I think as you grow up and through the years, if your, your parents didn't have a conversations with you, like, how do you feel? What's going on? Let's talk about it. And then you slowly drink and you think, Oh, I feel good. You don't know it in the moment. You don't know it at all. 
until all of a sudden you find yourself 54 years old. I ever specifically remember telling my husband, I can drink all this kettle one, three, four huge ones every night with four or five shots in it. Definitely a full glass with a tiny splash. And I remember saying to him, it's just not doing it for me anymore. What's wrong? So I think that alcoholism is you are drinking and drinking and drinking to cover up something that's bothering you. You don't know how to talk about it. You're not quite sure what it is. And finally, there comes this point where that alcohol is not going to leave, make that feeling stay in your body anymore. For me, that's what it was. That feeling of not feeling good about myself, hating myself, thinking I'm a horrible person just wasn't going away anymore. You know, my myself and, and addiction guru, Dr. Gabra Mate, would definitely track with that definition for sure. Uh, Dr. Gabra Mate would say that all addictions uh, take hold in early childhood and tra- traumatic events, and they don't have to be huge traumatic events. Uh, it can just be loneliness, right? Maybe it's something you didn't receive. And yeah. eventually as life goes on, we do taste alcohol and it just has this magical effect on those past traumas. For sure. I track with that 100%. You know, so what did you do after after that AA meeting? You know, how, how did you log your first couple of days away from alcohol, Cindy? Um, before I actually walked into the AA meetings, as I was doing Al-Anon, I knew there was something going on. So in, in Thanksgiving 2022, I came home from a, a travel nursing job. I told my husband, look, I want to die. I don't know what's going on with me. I had been drinking, going to work as a charge nurse in the operating room, I was drinking every night, getting wasted. I was in a small, tiny community. I was driving home wasted every night. And I didn't, I was speeding my car up to 90. I didn't care if I died. Right. And then kind of the icing on the cake that I looked back, I didn't know it in the moment was that I pulled up to the community where I was staying and we had a gate code and I couldn't get that damn thing to open. I was looking at my phone. I couldn't see the numbers. I couldn't see the numbers on the gate. I called the lady that owned the, owned the house. I, I don't know what I even said to her. It was, it's gotta be very embarrassing. Like F you, I hate this. I can't get in. I drove my car through the gate and not till I came home weeks later. And I looked at my car because I was washing the window. Did I realize the damage I had done? And that's when I really thought to myself, my second huge experience with alcoholism that didn't give me, I didn't have a yet, but I was pretty close to a yet. I could have killed someone. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? I've been wanting to die for the past four months. I wanted to run into a tree. I want to walk in a stormy ocean and die. Something's wrong with me. I can't work. I started doing EMDR therapy. I did rolfing. I did chiropractic. I've done massage. I've done all these things leading me to Al-Anon, leading me to AA and the whole combination for me. That's why I recognize with this story in the big book, The Missing Link, the woman that tried all these things. I thought it was a trauma from the past. I thought if I did rolfing, it would make it better. I thought if I did EMDR, it would make me better. But I realized that I still had to take the alcohol away to truly understand who I am. Right there is a huge value bomb, listeners. I had to take the alcohol away for me to heal, right? Uh, and and I don't want to discount all these other therapies, right? The times that we're all, you know, we're blind to the fact of being alcoholic or whatnot, because that yeah. still leads us to the progression. It's still part of the journey, right? Mm-hmm. And so was it alcohol? You're saying, what is wrong with me? What is going on? What is this missing link? Yeah. And, and something you said earlier too is it's just not working anymore. It's kettle one's. It's a lot of alcohol. It's just not working anymore. I did an episode several months ago. The worst place an alcohol can be is where it's not working anymore. And there's this jump off point. It's this tipping point. We either A, double down on the alcohol and start drinking more and more. And that's, that's you know, hello, precipitous decline. Or B, we step back from the alcohol and step into our more authentic self and look for guidance there. Uh, mm-hmm. take, take it from there. I am on the B side for sure. When I took it away... I had originally, I had listened to a podcast sometime in late February, early March, 2023, 
Um, it was for nursing continuing education credits. And this woman was talking about how she chose, was choosing not to drink anymore because she wanted to be sober because she wanted to have an authentic life. And I've been kind of searching for this authentic life, but I didn't realize that keeping alcohol on top of life didn't give you an authentic life. So as I heard her talking, she wasn't AA, she wasn't any of these things. She was a mom of young kids. And she had started seeing, oh, I see these bibs that say mommy's reason to drink or, you know, the skinny girl margarita. Oh, let's stay skinny. We're drinking skinny girl or, oh, it's 3.30. Mommy's got to have a bottle of wine. And I really started thinking like, that's not an authentic life. You're telling me I need to drink because I'm a mom and can't handle life. I don't want to be that person. And then I also started thinking like, I don't want to be drunk at my daughter's wedding. And then someone said to me, what if she doesn't even invite you to her wedding? I wanted to be clear and conscious to make clear, conscious decisions about my life. And I realized I couldn't do that unless I had alcohol out of my system. Are my decisions super clear yet? They're getting more clear. It's been 118 days, but I realize the clearer I get, the better able I am to make a decision. Yeah, listeners, I, I want to be clear. This is not a war against alcohol, this podcast, this mission, right? In fact, I'm very thankful for the clarity that alcohol has provided me in my life. And it sounds like you reached there too. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's through very intense painful moments, right? And, and many therapies that like just, just aren't it, but you get the clarity. If I want to be this type of person, then alcohol has to go. I have zero chance of being my authentic self, being happy, showing up at my daughter, my family's weddings, whatnot. None of that will happen with alcohol. And so you almost have, you have two choices. It's like a clear fork in the road. And I know which one you chose. I think you said 118 days around there. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. How has this journey been thus far? So I did definitely ride the pink cloud that we talk about for quite, I don't know, like two months, probably. I really felt very good. I wanted, I wasn't employed. So I was going to a ton of day music for me. I have started doing AA. Will I stay? I don't know. But for now it's working because I have time and there's meetings are plentiful in Wilmington, North Carolina. So for me, it's working now. So it's been pretty good for a while, but yes, the feelings of fear and anxiety do come in. And that's when I start to think, Hmm, I would have gone and had a vodka after something that was stressful to make, take the emotions off. But I say to myself, and I still do go to therapy, but less, I say to myself, Hey, fear or anxiety or loneliness or whatever the feeling is you're here to, I see you're here. I'm going to feel you for a second. Cause I don't want to push you away because you have something to say to me. You want to say something to me, but I don't have to figure it out immediately. I can say, you know, I, I see that you're here. I'm seeing, I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to sit in my uncomfortable, but I don't need to take a drink to make it go away. I need to feel it. I understand maybe what it is. I just let it be. I don't moping it all day, but I do. I'm slowly and surely being better at feeling the uncomfortable feelings that I feel because they're always going to come. I don't think there's any life in this world that's not going to have uncomfortable feelings. And I sit with them. I think about them a little bit, but then I know I need to do some action. I got to get up and do something. I got to move, take the dog for a walk, listen to your podcast, sing some music, go on the beach and scream, whatever I have to do. I try to work through it in a healthy manner, in a conscious manner, without having a couple of vodkas to chill it out. That's what Indeed. I do now. That was that was perfectly said, right? There, There is no human life that does not experience a negative, that's not even the right word, uh, an uncomfortable emotion because you have to know the sour to know the sweet. It's part of human life. Join the party. That's what we signed up here for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of times those are guiding emotions and we numb them away and therefore we can't listen to the messengers that the emotions are telling us. Um, and you said, let's try to figure out, we might be able to figure it out. And with me, you know, sometimes I've been on this, this never ending search of the why, and it is important. I do, but sometimes it doesn't have to mean shit. It's just an uncomfortable day, an uncomfortable hour, an uncomfortable minute, whatever. 
ride it out without taking a drink or go to the precipice. You gather momentum. This is for listeners that can't quite log a full day without or go through an emotion. Go as long as you can and then say, all right, that's my breaking point. But your breaking point will be get get further every single time. Uh, And Cindy, in these 118 days, have you had, I imagine you've had some cravings um, and have you thought about going back and drinking? I have not thought about going back and drinking because I, I again, I want to be clear in my choices. But when these days come, I guess in a way, I, I don't have a craving for alcohol, but I think, oh, I could have a drink and it would make it go away. I think that consciously, but I also then, I guess this is probably a common thing. I play the tape forward. If I chose to go like make myself a drink or grab a beer or do whatever or go to the bar, what's going to happen if I do that? I may not get in the car. I may not kill anybody. I don't know. So there are a lot of yes or possibilities, but I also know it's just going to delay that feeling and that decision that I have to make. It's going to come eventually. So I might as well stay present and clear and to calm myself. Sometimes like take a shower and I'll just take myself. It's okay. Everything's okay. You're going to be okay. And if I have to cry, I cry or I do just continually tell I am powerless over my brain in this moment. Cause we know as alcoholics, we kind of have these minds go like a squirrel, right? They say, whatever you say, it just kind of goes right. Or we have a conversation in our head. But I talk to myself sometimes out loud, just sometimes in my brain. Everything is okay. In this moment, you're okay. You will be okay. You can make it through. Go do something to get out of your head right now. And I have to force myself to do that. It doesn't come natural. I hope it comes natural in the future. But right now, it doesn't come extremely natural. But it's getting better. It's getting a lot better. It doesn't come natural. It's a practice, right? And I'm going to tie that into what you said about the thoughts, right? Sometimes our, I am powerless over my thoughts. And a lot of times we tie that thinking into alcoholic thinking, but uh, spoiler alert, all 8 billion people on the planet are powerless over their thoughts at times. It doesn't matter if you meditate in a cave in Nepal for, for decades or whatnot, there will still come moments like, all right, this thinking mind is is just going crazy. That is part, again, join the party of a human life. Wow. Um, it sounds like your awareness is on point. You have taken your gaze outward, moved it inward and said, hello, body. Hello, emotions. I am here. My name is Cindy. I will no longer be departing. I am right here. <laughs> uh, how's that strategy working for you? I really like that. And I, I, I appreciate those words. That's very nice. And um, But a little tiny piece of me wants to say like, it's, yes, I am doing this and I know it is hard, but still with my alcoholic mind or whatever you want to call it. I do want to pick up the hammer and beat myself up. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you really aren't doing that hard. I want to do that. But right here on my computer, I even have a little thing that says, put the bat down, Mm. Stop beating yourself up because the bat is heavy. And every time I beat myself up, it doesn't help anybody. So when I kind of have those feelings also where I'm like, oh, me, 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 what am I going to do? Nobody understands me. I feel sad. Whatever it is, I actually hear friends outside that aren't drinking also that or alcoholics and they like just go do something good for somebody else. Go do whatever you need to do to to get a good turn for somebody else. And there's always something you can do. So when I do get out of myself and I do something service work or it doesn't have to be that big, just a small thing. I go over to the neighbors and I say hi and we have a conversation, whatever it is, get out of my brain, then my day is definitely a lot better. Listeners, we've heard thousands of tools on this podcast and 3M may have created a phenomenal one as in a post-it note, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> put, the, put, the, put the bat down. Um, you know, we use alcohol to, to squash those voices in the head, squash those uncomfortable feelings, but we have mm-hmm. no chance of dealing with those feelings with alcohol. So with the shame, with the self-worth, with the voice in the head, you know, what have you learned about yourself? 
in the past 118 days without alcohol? Is there a narrative that has made itself known that might not be correct? Narrative that might not be correct? Um, I still want to tell myself that I'm worthy and that I am worthy of having a good life and that I will, um, everything will be okay. I, I hope that that's true. I don't think I really have a good answer for that. Yeah, no worries. And for me, it oh. was it was like the unworthiness of self-punitive talk all the time, self-castigating talk. Oh, there we are. Yeah. And I had no chance that's of seeing it. Without yeah, that's, the one that's starting to go away. That's going away for me a little bit. It's getting better every day. Because that used to be wake up in the morning, I would honestly immediately feel depressed and I'd want to cry before I even got out of bed. So Those are rough days. Yeah. And before I get out of bed, I do whatever I need. I say a prayer. I ask for, please keep me sober today. Whatever I need to do in my mind, whatever, I don't have a routine. I'm not very good at routine yet. Maybe one day I will be, but at least before I get out of bed, I say something positive, ask for help for the day or say, please help me higher power. God, whatever you want to say, let me stay sober today, get out of bed and start moving immediately. I have to. So what role does a higher power, God, whatnot, whatever you want to call it, what role does that play in your sobriety? Right now, it plays a huge role in my sobriety. Every day I do talk to my higher power. I do call my higher power God in this moment. Um, I talk to that person every day because I have to. It helps me feel sane. It helps me make it through the day. It gives me courage, strength, and power to go on, make it through the day. Because you can't always reach out to a friend. You can't always get your hands on a book. All I can do is go outside. Fortunately, I live next to the beach. I can walk up there at 5A. I can watch the pelicans flying in the ocean. I can see the dolphins. I can have a little prayer time. It gets me out of myself. It comes back later on in the day. I have to do it again. But that's how I can start. I got a question, Cindy, about the geographical cure. Did the drinking come with you? I imagine it did. Drinking came with me. Yes, it did 100% because I never knew it was a problem. So the truth of the matter is any change you make that's not within yourself without alcohol is not going to make anything better. Moving doesn't make anything better. Changing relationships doesn't make anything better. Getting divorced doesn't make anything better. No matter where you go, you can say this till you're sick and thrown up. Wherever you go, there you are, unless you change yourself. You can't change anybody but yourself. Unless you make internal change, nothing's going to change externally, regardless of where you are on the planet. Well said, 100. Cindy. 100. Yeah. Now, you know, what's your favorite part about living an alcohol-free life, Cindy? I'm clear in my mind and I feel what I feel. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but I like the challenge of feeling the feelings without smothering them with booze. I like that. It's a challenge. Yeah. Some of us run marathons, cycle races, swimming, whatnot. And that's a challenge right there. Hey, I'm going to go through this life or at least day without numbing out. I love that. I mm -hmm. love that. And it is quite a challenge at first. As you mentioned, it's a practice. It's a practice. It gets easier. You know, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on relapse, Cindy? I know you're an operating room nurse. Um, you can see the really dark side of this. You know, what, is, what are your thoughts about relapse and, and playing the tape forward of where that could lead? I do not want to drink again. I know a lot of people say that. I know we all probably, I think everybody that stops drinking wants that. I All I can say is I hope that it doesn't happen to me because I don't think it would be good. I hear everybody's stories that alcoholism is a progressive disease. I do believe it progressed in me and I hear other people's stories. And so I am living off other people's stories and experience saying that they stopped for a long time and then they started again and they were exactly where they were and or died. And I'm trusting that data. I'm trusting that data 
And that's what I'm living on. I don't want to do it because I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to my family or my children or them to have that experience. Oh, my mom died. I don't want that to happen. So I'm not going to drink. That is a common story in the rooms of 12 steps or recovery in general. And there are anecdotal data points that scare the shit out of me, which is people go sober for 10, 15 years or whatever, and and they drink again mm-hmm. uh, and they pick right back up where they left off. And some of them don't make it back. I, I, I hear you there, which is part why we're on the, we're on a call right now, right? I'm on the same journey as you are. Uh, the ism, the incredible short memory. I need to be reminded of this daily. I do. Uh, and thank you for doing that, Cindy. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Cindy, I got one more question for you before we reach the rapid fire round. There's a stigma regarding alcohol in the workforce or whatnot, but I also, I also think somebody, a sober nurse is a major asset to any ER team. Right. And I've heard, I heard ah, a couple months ago, I heard a story where somebody was detoxing and their nurse was sober. And the way that this nurse spoke to uh, my friend who was detoxing was just so empathetic, so loving, so compassionate because they got it. Right. So you have an arrow in your quiver called sobriety. And another part of that, a couple words to your patients, like, yeah, I had to go through this. You're going to be just fine. Um, is this something you plan on talking to patients about, talking to your hospital staff about? Or is this something that, uh, you know, just keep it buttoned up? Well, I think that nobody learns or nobody changes unless they hear somebody else's story. Other people's stories have helped me. That's why I wanted to come on your podcast. I do hope that in the future, as I get a new job, because I'm in the middle of getting a new job that I will be able to use my experience, strength and hope with other people. I don't know where that's going to be yet. I'm not going to go out broadcasting it. I'm going to do it in a subtle manner, but there's going to be someone that's struggling with something and probably going to have alcohol related to it. And I will share it when the moment presents itself. I covered this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was a Morgan Freeman movie. I saw just a scene and he was asked, what's the point of life without hesitation? He said to pass on what we've learned to others. And Cindy, mm-hmm. you're doing that right now. I know this interview is going to help thousands of people and in a subtle fashion, however you want to do it in the ER, you're also going to find ways to drop the line of like, Hey, you're going to be fine. I've gone through this. There is a life on the other side. I love mm-hmm. it. Cindy, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I believe I am. All right. What's your best sober moment? I wrote this down. My best sober moments really are just being able to make clear decisions in the in the day. That's I think that's a clear and a good time for me to be able to make clear decisions. Yeah. What's the one thing you've learned about yourself? That I can do anything. Mm, you can do this. You can most definitely do anything. And what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Honestly, just water with lemon. I don't really get into the NA stuff. Just the water with lemon. Boring. Oh, good. What's the point of life, Cindy? connectedness and meeting other people and sharing life with others what's your favorite 80s band i kind of thought about this one i think i think i have to go more of the 90s like i liked nirvana and pearl jam a lot back in the 90s i'm not currently have any favorites but they were my go-tos back then what are some of your favorite recovery resources recovery elevator for sure currently aa is really helpful and i do listen to a lot of other recovery podcasts so podcasts have been my go-to yeah. Have you consumed more ice cream or sweets in the last 118 days? Maybe a smidge more. Yeah, a smidge more. It comes and goes. Gotcha. What would be your advice to your younger self? Okay, let's say if I was reparenting myself, I would talk more about um, everyday thing, even if it mad, if it was just being on the playground and a little kid threw sand in your face and it made you want to cry. I would want to talk about a little more talking, talking about your feelings. 
Gotcha. And what parting piece of guidance do you have for listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking? Well, I think that if you're contemplating stopping drinking, I think you should really think about why you drink. I mean, go ahead and do your drinking, but maybe think about why am I having my first drink? What is it? Is it I want to be social or is it something else? And then as you get more drunk, maybe try to consciously keep track of why you're drinking and the next day really have an evaluation. Why did I do that? Was it fun? What did I learn? Did anything great come out of this? Um, ask yourself the big question. Why am I doing it? Why? Introspection level 10. I love it, Cindy. And before we depart, Sydney, give listeners your own customized you might have to ditch the booze if line. You might have to ditch the booze if you feel like crap every day and you want to die and you drive your car through a gate. Yeah, that checks out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, Cindy. Thank you so much for coming on the Recovery Elevator podcast. I wish you the best of luck. Congrats you. on 118 days. You're doing great work. Thank you. Thanks. Listeners, you're not stuck. You're just committed to certain patterns of behavior because they helped you in the past. Now those behaviors have become more harmful than helpful. The reason why you can't move forward is because you keep applying an old formula to a new level in your life. Change the formula to get a different result. This is from Emily Marianton. Great line. Occasionally at RE, we get flack for partnering with NA Brewing or NA Beers, right? Which I get and I respect. If an NA beer is triggering to you, trust your gut, trust your instinct, and do what's best for you. But I do want to clarify a couple things with this. So an NA beer, let's go with Go Brewing, they have typically less than 0.05% alcohol content, ABV. Now, let's talk about a hamburger or a burger roll. Just the bread in a hamburger has an ABV or an alcohol content of 1.28%. Rye bread, uh, 0.18%. If you've got a ripe banana, like ready to eat, it has 0.4% ABV, uh, right about the same as an NA beer. So keep that in mind with NA beers. And this also goes with kombucha. But again, if this is triggering, I totally get it. I respect it. Do what's best for you. I did read an article where you know some guy set out to get hammered off NA beers, and it took him 28 beers to blow the legal limit, which is 0.08 which is not hammered. And that would not be fun to drink 28 beers to just reach the legal limit. My goodness. I'm so glad chasing that high. My life is over. Recovery Elevator, I love you guys. Go big, keep dancing, because eventually we'll all go home.